The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Turning there, if you're capable of doing two things at once, I'm not. But uh, in your bulletin is an insert I want to call your attention to. It says, just simply says on the top, priorities. And a part of what we're going to do starting August 13th is talk about our priorities as a congregation. Uh, I'm going to get done with chapter 10 of Hebrews next week. And uh, we want to turn our attention to chapter 11. But I want to do that after... Labor Day. Well, I really have a desire in my heart, a great desire, that we as a congregation, that you would know our pastoral staff, and uh, you would understand uh, our unity that we have as uh, spiritual leaders of the congregation in terms of where we're going. Many of you don't know all of our pastoral staff, or maybe you only know them by name. And so we're going to do something we've never done before. I'm asking each one of our pastors to preach about one of our priorities uh, in uh, over, well, there's really three weeks in which they're preaching, but over a four-week period of time. And, and so the way this will work is uh, a pastor will have a topic in one service. And so on those particular weeks, w- one guy will preach at 8 on one topic, a different guy will preach a different topic at 9.30, and a different guy will preach a different topic at 11. And you see that we're going to do that on August 13. 20 and September 3rd. In the middle of that, I've asked uh, Dr. Barrett Duke if he would uh, come and uh, share a little bit about the priority of cooperation. He's the new executive director for Southern Baptist Work in Montana. He's also one of the newest members of Emmanuel Baptist Church as well. It's going to be an exciting time. We're going to invest in our leadership. I want you to know the pastors. I want you to hear our priorities. And maybe during those three weeks, you want to change your schedule a little bit. Maybe you'd like to come at the 8 o'clock service and hear one pastor and then come at 9.30 like you normally do. Or maybe you'd like to come at 9.30 and stay for 11. Uh, Maybe you'd like to uh, figure out which pastor's going to be when and make sure in one week come and hear that one. All of these will be posted on the website. I would like you to hear them. I'd like you to encourage our pastors. I'd like for you to hear what great leadership we have in our pastoral staff. And so I call this to your attention, and we'll start it in just a couple of weeks. But in order to get there, I've got to finish Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to call your attention to verse 19. And we're going to begin a passage which is really about assurance. Uh, Last week, what Pastor Jim shared in the previous part of chapter 10 is that God has a will for you. In fact, the word will is used three different ways in uh, Hebrews. First time that we came across it, it's translated covenant. It's the same word, but it's it's translated covenant, and sometimes old covenant and new covenant. The second time we found it, it's translated like last will and testament. And we saw that Jesus Christ fulfilled the obligations of the last will and testament of the old covenant. And then he gives us, without condition, just simply repentance and faith, he gives us the last will and testament of the new covenant. And then thirdly, what we discovered last week is that God has a will for you. Jesus Christ literally came to do God's will. And it is our desire as believers in Christ 
to be in God's will. In fact, the question I get asked more than all other questions combined as a pastor is in some way, shape, or form, is this God's will? How do I know it's God's will? How do I know when I'm out of God's will? All the questions about being in the will of God. Last week, Pastor Jim answered the question. He says, it's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you move forward to grow to be like Christ. This week, I'm going to add to that, it's God's will that you experience and know the full assurance of your faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you're still on the journey to faith, if you haven't yet receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're, if you're really here to ascertain who Jesus is and what it means to receive him and to acknowledge and believe that his death on the cross uh, covered your sins and paid for your sins in an atoning way, then you, this sermon's not for you. you. You can't experience the assurance, the confidence of your salvation until after you have given your life to Christ. But if you're here this morning and you've given your life to Christ and you've asked him for the forgiveness of sins and you've asked him to be your, your Lord, your master, your savior, your boss, you've given your life to him, it is God's will that you live this, this Christian life in the full assurance of that faith, in the full assurance of that salvation. My experience is that most Christians don't. That on any given morning you wake up and you're like, I... I hope I'm saved. I hope I'm going to heaven. When I, when I ask people, if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? Most people say, I hope so. That's not God's will for you. His desire is that you live this, this life of sanctification. Remember, it is God's will that you be sanctified. That you live this life in the confidence that what he did for you was perfect. His sacrifice on the cross met the holy requirements of God the Father, and he met it in perfection so that he has accomplished your salvation, and you have the assurance of your trust in him. Here, let's read what the Scripture has to say. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, it's generic, brothers and sisters, it's the family of God, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places of by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain. See all the imagery here? The Old Testament tabernacle, there was a holy of holies, but you had to go through the curtain to get in there, and the high priest was the only one that could get in there once a year. But now we have a new covenant. Christ Jesus has has torn the curtain. His body's been torn. He gave his body, and he opened that that curtain through his flesh. Verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in, what does your Bible say? Say it out loud. Say it louder. You guys like, you guys like, I have, I have full assurance. That's terrible. No, uh, the person who has full assurance is able to say, I have it. I own it. And so here's the scripture. It's a, it's a verse, it's a phrase to underline. Let us draw near. What is it that God wants for us? He wants us to come to him in the full assurance of faith, with the heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, from our, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's what we have. We have this incredible passage, only six verses, all about assurance, about how you as a believer, one who's given your life to Christ, one who's asked for the forgiveness of sins, how you can know and live in this confidence. The word confidence is used twice. Hope without wavering is in there. The word assurance, full assurance, this is what God has for you. How can you have it? How can you live that way? First of all, by understanding that full assurance is based in Christ alone. Every now and then, uh, I'm having a conversation with someone. It's usually a believer, uh, but the believer either comes from another faith background where they believe you can lose your salvation, or it's a person who's immature in their faith or weak in their faith. And we get to some point in the conversation, and maybe I say something like this. I know for certain that Christ is my Lord, and then when I go to heaven, uh, when I die, I'll go to heaven. And they just look at me like, how, how can you know that for certain? And they either look at me like they would like to know it for certain, or they look at me like I'm some kind of self-righteous, arrogant uh, Pharisee because I say, I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, like it's, like it's in my own good works. And both reactions are sad. For one person to think, no one can really know, and you're being self-righteous to say you know, or for another person to say, I wish I knew, but I, I don't know how to know, it comes in Christ alone. Go back now. We read this, but now let's look at it carefully. Let's kind of dissect it. Brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy place because of our good works. Is that what your Bible says? Because of my own righteousness. Because I go to Emmanuel every Sunday because I put a lot of money in the offering bag. Well, none of you do that, or I'd know. No, because of the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's an old hymn. Some of you don't know it. You should look it up. It's a powerful hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The idea that I would have confidence that I was going to heaven because of my good works is laughable. But in the blood of Jesus, the Son has met all the holy requirements of the Father, and His perfect sacrifice has washed away my sin, and that's the basis of my assurance. That's the confidence of my faith. It is by His blood that we are saved. Verse 21 goes on and says something else about Jesus. It says that we have a great high priest. Now, now we don't We don't think about this as often as we should. If we had lived right there at the cusp of Old Covenant and New Covenant, right when Jesus came, and and if we had watched that, everything would have changed for us. Until Jesus came and went to the cross, we'd have been going to the temple. We'd been taking our lamb and our bull and our goat, and and the priest would have been, he would have been taking that and, and killing that lamb and sprinkling that blood for us to cover our sin. And the only thing that ever happened in the Old Covenant was the sin was, it was never forgiven. Remember what we read uh, earlier in Hebrews 10. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All it ever did was cover the sin. Uh, this is the best way to understand that. If you had a loan at the bank and all you ever did was go and pay 
the interest on the loan, then you wouldn't be in arrears, but after doing that years and years and years, you you would still owe the full principal, right? So the blood of a bull or a goat was the interest, but it was never the principal. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid your interest, he paid your principal, he paid the whole thing. Jesus paid it all. That's another great hymn. All to him I owe. And so, so we find that he becomes our high priest. He's the one who tears the curtain and opens the way, not into an earthly uh, replica of the holy place, but to the actual throne of God. And so as a new covenant believer, you don't have to hope that you can catch me after the service and say, hey, pastor, I need you to take something to God for me. Could you, could you mediate on my behalf? And No, Jesus is my high priest and mediator. You can go directly to God today. Directly to the throne of God with your needs, your burdens, your sins, your prayers, right to the throne. And that's where he hears you. That's where he forgives you. That's where he loves you. Verse 21 says something else. It says not only is he the great priest, but he's the great priest over the house of God. The the old covenant was very legal uh, legalistic and legal in its nature the the old covenant picture was that i needed an advocate which was my priest who was the mediator who went to god who was the judge and i hoped that the judge would be lenient in the sentence of my sin that's really the concept of the old covenant in the new covenant the spirit says our sins are forgiven by a once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you and I have been made the children of God. Now remember, the passage is about full assurance. So how do I know, how do I have such confidence that God receives me? Because I now belong to Him. I mean, His family. He brings me into the family of God. He, he makes me one of his children. We are the sons and the daughters of God, and it's an entirely different kind of relationship. It's not the judge that I get an advocate to as my priest who goes and tries to mediate for me. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but in Romans chapter 8 it says, we call God Abba, Daddy, Father. It sounds funny to our ears. Imagine if you prayed, Dear Heavenly Daddy. Sounds funny to us. But it's a Bible word. We have the intimacy, the assurance of that relationship. Now, I know something about that relationship because I'm a grandfather. I have uh, seven grandchildren. And uh, many times they just crawl up in my lap, often uninvited. They just do. They're close to me in proximity, and they reach out, and they crawl up, and then when they get up in my lap, they do stuff like this. What is this? And this, and they like to do this with my hair. And why do they have the, it's literally innate. They don't think about it. If you, if you were to say to them, they're too little even understood the, understand the word confidence or assurance. But why do they have the confidence and the assurance that when they crawl up into my lap, they won't be rejected, but they'll be nurtured and cuddled and held and protected because they belong. 
to the family. They belong to me. Do you, do you see the difference in, kind, in two different kind of believers? One has the full assurance of relationship, and that's what Jesus does for us. So let's make this clear. When I say to you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is my eternal home and that when I die I go to heaven, I am not saying that based on my goodness. That would be silly and foolish and even sinful. It's all about Christ. All of our confidence, all of our assurance is in Christ Jesus. Now, the life of assurance is characterized by some things. It's characterized, first of all, I want you to see, by sincerity. He says here in uh, verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart. The reason that some people don't have full assurance is they really, they're really not sincere about their faith. Uh, they have some faith because their parents have faith. They have some faith because they went to a religious school, or a Catholic school, or a Christian school. They have some faith because they, they kind of know there's a God, and they, they haven't walked away from that. They believe there's a God, but in reality, they, they haven't really come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They haven't done it wholeheartedly. They haven't done it with a full, sincere heart. There are many people, they kind of believe that Jesus is the way, but at the same time, they got the coexist bumper sticker on their car. Now listen very carefully. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but I want you to hear this. If you believe everything is the way to heaven, you believe no way is the way to heaven. If you're trying to believe at all, you really believe in nothing. The one who has full assurance has all his eggs in one basket. The one with full assurance believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now think about that. Jesus said those words. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when he said that, either he's telling the truth or he's lying. Either there are lots of ways to the Father or there's only one way to the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. The one who has full assurance believes that Jesus is the only way. The one who's still grabbing a little of this. I mean, some guys are kind of like, yeah, I got a St. Christopher in this pocket and I got a four-leaf clover in this pocket and I got, you know, I've got, the, got my uh, a Sierra Club in this pocket and I'm going to... No. It's just Christ and Christ alone. There's a second thing we see in the lives of those who have full assurance, and that is, verse 22 again, let us draw near with a true heart, sincere heart, in the full assurance of faith, that's God's will for you, with hearts sprinkled clean and evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So here's all these characteristics. The first thing it says is with the full assurance of good works. Is that what your Bible says? Let us draw near to God with the full assurance of denominationalism. Is that what it says? No. Let us, let us draw near to God with the full assurance of faith. The, the relationship that every believer has with God can only be uh, manifested. It's only demonstrated. It's only evidenced by faith. It's by faith that you're saved. I don't have full assurance in God because God sends me a $10,000 check every day. I would love that. But the truth of the matter is, if he sent you a $10,000 check every day, you might still not believe in him. 
say, no, if I got a $10,000 check every day, I would believe. Really? The Scripture doesn't show that. In fact, every time the writer of Hebrews talks about what Christ did, he uses the children of Israel that walked in the wilderness for 40 years as an example. Now, I want you to think about everything that they saw. They prayed for a deliverer. God sent them Moses. They were there, and they saw plague number one. For that matter, they saw plague two, three, four, and five. They saw plagues six, seven, eight, and nine. They saw the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn male of every family, the Passover. When the tenth plague was done, God had the Egyptians bring them all their silver, all their gold, all their fine jewelry, and give it to them to leave. Then they walked up to the Red Sea and they got trapped. The greatest military uh, at that time, Egypt's military, trapped them against the Red Sea. God opened it. They walked through on dry land. They turned around and watched the greatest military at that time, all covered with the Red Sea. Do you, do you think they would need any more object lessons to be reminded that there's a God? Do they, shouldn't they be able to walk to the promised land in full assurance? Nope. Nope, they couldn't do it. They started grumbling they didn't have water. He gave them water out of a rock. They started grumbling that they didn't have food. He gave them manna. started grumbling that they didn't have meat. He gave them pigeons and doves. He started grumbling uh, about this and that. The the Scripture says their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. They never got, uh, their clothes didn't wear out. He gave them everything that they needed, and they still didn't believe. So I'd suggest to you what Jesus said when he told the story of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man said, send someone back from the dead because my brothers won't believe unless someone comes back from the dead. And Moses said, unless they believe the prophets, they're not going to believe if someone came back from the dead either. How do we know that was true? Because Jesus came back from the dead and still people don't believe. So how is assurance How does it happen? Does it happen because God gives you something? Because he rescues you from something? Because he moves you through the Red Sea? Because you live through the the death angel and the Passover? Or do you know it by faith? The writer of Hebrews says, you know it by faith. And it's not just a spiritual thing. It's also evidenced by a clean heart and a clear conscience. Now, it's, it's interesting, this passage. Faith is the Faith is the reflection of the fact that you are a spiritual being. But God didn't just make you spiritual. He also made you mental. It gives you a psychological ability. And he, and he also uh, gives you the, uh, physicality. And so we see all of these things listed here. And so God does this thing where he forgives us by the blood of Jesus. And we have a clean heart. And we can begin to live in sanctification so we're not... Uh, experiencing the condemnation and the guilt that Satan brings on you every day, every day, every day, every day. These are, these are opposites. If, if every day you wake up in oh, fear and guilt and condemnation, you're not experiencing the full assurance that God has for you. They, they, they function in two opposite worlds. But if you wake up knowing that you have the forgiveness of God, that you have everlasting forgiveness, that heaven is your home, then Satan can't attack you with the fear and the guilt and the condemnation because you know you belong to Jesus. Now, the physicality is another part of this. He says we have bodies washed, he says, 
with pure water. The idea is, uh, it's a kind of a picture of baptism, but it's a picture of the washing of the Word. And what does it do? It, well, yes, of course it washes our hearts spiritually. Of course our, our minds are renewed mentally. But also, we are changed by what we do. Our, our bodies start to live out sanctification. And so my assurance, my full assurance, is recognizable by my actions. Let's talk just for a moment why some of you don't have full assurance. It's because you're still choosing, choosing to sin. Now, of course, when you choose to sin and you come back to God and you ask Him, of course He forgives you. But the result of your sin and then your sin again and your sin again and your sin again is you you don't have any assurance of your life. There's no confidence in your Christian life. Satan wins more battles in your life than God wins. You submit yourself to Satan. You say, how do you win? Uh, There was was an old cowboy one time who uh, lived a, a, a really incredible Christian life and the other cowboys who struggled with all their cowboy sins came to him and said, how is it that you are able to overcome temptation and we can't? And, uh, and the cowboy said, well, he said, you know, what you have inside of you is like two natures. You have, they're like two dogs that are fighting. And he goes, the dog that wins is the dog that you feed the most. I want you to think about that just a little bit. Are you feeding your flesh? Are you feeding your desires? Or are you feeding on the Word of God? If you don't have any assurance, maybe you're feeding the wrong dog. Maybe you're losing that battle. So full assurance is this walk with the Lord that changes my heart, changes my mind, and changes my actions as well. There's something else I want you to see here about full assurance, and that is, he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Full assurance is a life of confidence and hope that doesn't waver. Now, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about the real thing. It's not talking about, I hope it doesn't rain, I hope it does rain. The Bible's talking about our hope that's in Christ, the blessed hope, the return of Christ. He's talking about that confidence, and he's talking about the life that a full assurance doesn't go up and down and up and down and in and out and in and out. It's a consistent walk of sanctification. So let's talk about it again from the negative side. Some of you don't have full assurance because you're up and down and up and down and up and down. You're here, and you're here for three months and six months, and we're studying Hebrews together, and then you're gone for a year. You're here, and uh, right when we get ready to, we get to August, you're going to sign up for life groups, you sign up for seven life groups, and then you don't attend any of them. You're here, and you're like, hey, well, I'm going to help with this, and I'm going to serve here, and I want to go on this mission trip, and then you're not around. And so you're up and down and up and down. It is God's will, our sanctification, that we walk with the Lord in a way that we're growing, 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 growing. Our growth shouldn't look like this. It should look like this. This is a life of 
full assurance. How do you overcome sin? How do you, how do you keep your emotions from taking you down? You believe that Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is everything. You give your life to him. He, he changes you, heart, mind, soul, body. You're a different person. This is why you live. It's how you live. It's your magnificent obsession. It's your, it's your divine calling. You can't leave that. You don't change that. Some of you, let's be honest, some of you are more faithful to your place of employment than you are to the Lord. You're always at your job and you're always there on time. But the Lord, he just kind of gets your leftovers. Of course you don't have full assurance because you're, you're walking this up and down roller coaster kind of experience. There's another thing about those who have full assurance. It says... In verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Full assurance is a life devoted to reproducing God's love in others. This is, this is what God wants for us. So when I experience the salvation that God has for me, when I experience the forgiveness of sins, when I realize how great it is, when I know that heaven really is mine and I'm not going to hell like I deserve, one of the things that changes in me is I want you to know. And I care about you. And I, and I, and I want to see you grow in the faith. I have a new responsibility. Uh, let's imagine that uh, I, I walk down this road and uh, when I get down the road, it's kind of one of my favorite places where I walk. I normally walk across this bridge it's over this big cliff and river because it's really beautiful. But then I, when I get there that particular day, I notice the bridge is out. The, the bridge is out. And then while I kind of stand there taking it all in, I also realize, oh, my goodness, anyone who's driving down this road, you know, it's like 40-mile-an-hour speed limit, they're they're just going to go right off the cliff into the river to their most certain death. I think I should get home. I'm about to miss the price is right. That, that doesn't make sense, does it? What would I do? Well, I'd, I'd get my phone. I'd dial 911. I'd start to try to get some help. But I'd get back up around the turn until somebody got there, so that when you came in your car, I could go, hey, hey, stop, don't go any further. Because it's only right to keep you from going to your certain destruction. I wouldn't go back up around the road, knowing the bridge is out, and when you went by at 40, went like this. Have a nice trip. Well, that'd be completely wrong. And yet, many of us, have experienced the forgiveness of sins. Christ Jesus has changed us. We live in a world full of people who don't know Christ and who are headed to an eternity separated from him. And we're like, have a nice day. What changes in us? The life of full assurance is a life changed where I stir others up. It's a really interesting phrase, actually. It's almost always used in a negative sense. To, when you're stirring things up, that's negative. If, 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 if this week somebody said, oh, I heard things were really stirred up at Emmanuel, people would go like, oh, that's bad, isn't it? But the writer of Hebrews actually uses a negative word for a positive thing. You see, what I've discovered is 
Even though people are going to go around the corner at 40 mile an hour and off the cliff to destruction, they actually get kind of mad when I stop them and tell them. It, it tends to be kind of a negative thing. How is it that we can keep doing it? Because I have full assurance. How is it that I can keep telling people, there is a Christ, there is an eternity. Jesus shed his blood for you. There's a hell awaiting if you neglect that. And, and that doesn't always seem fun. How, how is it that I can do it? Full assurance of my faith. We stir one another up to good works. And then there's the last part of this. He says that we're to do this, and he says in verse 25, as we do it, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Do you ever want to know where the Bible speaks of our continual meeting together? So many people in Montana that I meet profess faith in Christ, but they don't, they don't like church. They don't do church. Lots of people have said to me, Pastor, like if, if we're outside, they, they just say, the outdoors is my church. That's a beautiful sentiment. I believe that the creation that God has given us is glorious, and it, and it causes me to worship. But it's not biblical in concept in terms of how we live our lives. We are to stir one another up to good works and not fail to meet together. Because you need me, and I need you. And I'm using that in this sense. If you isolate yourself from other believers who have full assurance, you will lose your full assurance. If you isolate yourself from other believers who know the faith and know the word and know the Lord, Satan will laugh with glee because if he can get you one-on-one, he will beat you every single time. You see, this experience isn't because it's, the, it's maybe the best worship experience you've ever had. This experience is so that you can go out and do battle in roads and streets and avenues where the bridge is out tomorrow. This is, this is to give you what you need so that when Satan attacks later tonight, you have got some of God's word in you and you know, you know what? It is God's will for me that I have full assurance and I'm not giving in to this. So he says, we're to stir one another up to good works. We're to encourage one another. And here's the last phrase, and I'm out of time. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. Remember a couple of weeks ago I told you that there's an there's a unseen theme in the New Testament, that about once every 27 verses in the New Testament is a reminder, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The one who lives in full assurance is devoted to the anticipation of Christ's return. He's coming back again. The one without full assurance sometimes gets scared about that. Oh, Jesus is going to come back, and what's going to happen with this, and what's going to happen with that, and I don't know if I'm really going to go. That's the one without full assurance. The one with full assurance looks forward to the coming of Christ. Think what will happen when he returns. For those of us who belong to him, we'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. And the scripture says, and so will we always be with the Lord. No more cancer, no more heart disease, no more war, no, no more wickedness, no more uh, sexual molestation, no more abuse of children, no more starvation of children, no more orphans. Thanks what will happen. It will all change in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Should we be fearful of that? If we don't have full assurance, we are. But for those of us who know the Lord, 
who love the Lord, who can't wait to see the Lord, we live in the anticipation of his return. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. There's so much more in the Bible about God's intent and his desire that you live in full assurance, but but we're out of time this morning. Is it possible that you're here, and to be honest, you've struggled with this? There was a time and a place where you gave your life to the Lord, but you always wonder, am I really going to heaven? Can Can I really live in confidence of knowing that the Holy Spirit is in me, my sins are forgiven? And this morning, we want you to know that you can. Now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, the full assurance doesn't come until after you give your life to Christ. You don't get the assurance first. First, you give your life to him. You come by repentance and faith, and he changes you. He forgives you of sin. He makes you a child of God. And then comes the assurance that God intends. So this morning, I wonder, are you willing to receive this assurance? So It comes as a free gift of God. Are you willing to live in it? Isn't it time that there's no more up and down and in and out? Isn't it time that you you live your life encouraging others in relationship to good works? Isn't that time? Father, this morning you see every heart. You know every burden. You know everything about each one of us. You know that many in this room have been fearful about their eternity and where they would spend it. They've been fearful about their relationship with you. And I pray that today, by just six simple verses, they've looked into your word as a mirror to our lives, and they've seen that it is your will, it is your desire, that they live in the full confidence and assurance of the faith, full confidence and assurance of the work, the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, change us, remake us, remold us into the image of your Son. And do this, we pray for your son's sake, for his glory and honor. For we pray it all in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Benediction. Uh, I want to share with you that assurance is not a new concept. I mean, it's obviously not new. Hebrews was written almost 2,000 years ago. But it's not a new concept for believers that's taught in our church life. In, in 1873, uh, two believers, two believing women who were friends got together. The, the one's name was uh, Phoebe Knapp. She was a bit of a musician. And uh, the other's woman's name was Frances Crosby, uh, known to many believers worldwide as Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns. She wrote 1,000 non-religious songs. She wrote four books of poetry and two best-selling autobiographies when she lived. On this particular day in 1873, they were at uh, Mrs. Knapp's house, and Mrs. Knapp moved to the piano, and she had been working on a a new melody, uh, a new song, and she wanted Fanny to hear it. And she she played uh, she played the little melody, she played the song, and then she said to Fanny, she said, "What does this tune say?" Fanny bowed her head kind of an uh, attitude of prayer, meditation and thoughtfulness. And Phoebe Knapp didn't interrupt her because she knew that she heard her. She knew that she was contemplating. And then Fanny Crosby lifted her head and she said, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. 
Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.